I'm Tommy Thompson, and you're listening to Space for Life, a podcast with honest conversations designed to help cultivate the space we need for a more fulfilling and abundant life. Despite our culture being wired for excess and overload, our souls desperately need the opposite. Thanks for joining us today as we seek to take one more step into a spacious life. Welcome back, everybody. I am excited to have Patricia back again with us this week. And it's great because I think that this week's topic, while it's totally different, is is a great kind of extension of what we talked last week about uh, what is a spacious life and why do we pursue it. So I love this experience that Patricia told me about that she had this morning. So I'm going to let you kind of just dive in Patricia, and tell the story that kind of is underlies today's topic. Okay, that sounds great, Tommy. Um, I will just say, I feel like lately, whenever I teach or communicate publicly, I talk about runs that I go on. And I just have to laugh because I really don't run that much. (laughs) I run about twice a week, very slowly and not very far. Uh, So just want to not have any illusions about that. But I mention that because I spend a lot of time during the week studying. I'm in school and and, and I'm reading. But some of my best thinking happens when I'm in a spacious place. Little plug for your book there, but it it ties into what we were talking about last week or the last time we did the last podcast. And that is creating spacious places isn't about slowing down and not being productive. In fact, creating the space for that sometimes leads to the most productive ideas. And I find that when I go for a run, which is about twice a week, I often end up talking or teaching about what I think about on that run. Well, I think that's neat. I think it's such a practical way creating space influences our life. And one of the things that I think is unique about you, very different from me, which kind of fits in with some of the later things we'll talk about, is that you have wide open eyes. You see things uh, when you're out on a run. You see things around. And my mind tends to work so much in concepts. And I love the way you have very, very attentive eyes and ears. And that's such a a gift. And it's something that I appreciate because we both love to teach and we both love ideas, but you come at things with such a unique angle. That's just kind of a lead into the story that from your, from your run. Well, uh, thanks for that because it was cool what I saw today, and it was really unusual. So I run on the trail system down by the river a couple times a week. And today when I was down there, I was on Brown Brown's Island, which is near Belle Isle. And I noticed that there were these colorful rocks all over the field where the folk festival happens. Huge, like you could see it, see it from an airplane. And I was thinking, what in the world is that? And so I walked over and there's a sign and it was actually an art installation. And I'll have to put in the show notes who the artist is. I didn't notice. But the idea is that people would take a rock from the river and they'd created this pile and they're about the size of your palm. And they would take them home and they would paint them with whatever they wanted, a picture, a word, but they were really colorful. And they would come back and they would place them in this formation that the artist had 
he'd sort of curated this way so that when people placed the rocks, they fit into a certain shape. And I thought, what is the shape? And I couldn't really see it up close. So I backed away and I noticed it was the shape of a hand. And I thought, that's weird. What does he mean by that? And then I noticed that the name of the exhibit was Apart But Together. And I thought, oh, yeah, that fits. It's like 2020, COVID, Apart But Together. You see it in a lot of windows. But then I thought what was so cool about it is that the hand was the image. And it just made me think much beyond, like so far beyond what we're dealing with in 2020, is this concept of Apart But Together that goes beyond um, politics, that goes beyond um, the pandemic. It really is a concept that undergirds the strength of humanity, and I think it's really worth exploring. And it's also a very biblical, spiritual concept. And just to break it out a little bit, if you think about a hand, there's five digits, and they are distinct from each other. And they each have a separate purpose, but they are connected by the palm, And often they work together with the palm, the brain directing it, but sometimes they work individually. And, but they are distinct, but they're also connected. Another word would be individual, but also collective. Um, And I just thought that that was fascinating to think of our most useful functional part demonstrates this apart but together functionality. And it's mirrored in our body as well. I mean, if you think you have the torso, but then you have your, your two arms, your two legs, and then your head. So you have these five sort of extremities. And the human body functions that way. And it made me want to extrapolate it out even more to systems and just families, businesses, society, just that concept of how we function best, not as individuals, or collective, but both, individuals and communities. And both are important, not one or the other. Well, and I think even just looking at that analogy of a hand, what strikes me is that God created, and this idea of apart but together, is not that we just need five fingers, but we need five different fingers, that if we had five index fingers, um, we'd have five times the number of fingers, but it wouldn't work. And that they're not that many, th- you know, we, we operate as a hand, and that hand has power because all of those five different unique things work in unison together to throw a ball or to pick up something. And if you tried to pick up something without your thumb, you'd have a hard time doing it. And that idea, and the same thing is, is true of a body, that we were designed that way. And so it goes all the way back to Genesis, right? Well, I mean, even more than just an individual body, if you think about like the life force of humanity is based on two people being apart individuals but also together. And together, there's this creative, I mean, to create a human being is, I mean, what is a greater miracle than that? Right. And it's predicated on this concept of a part, but together. So tell me about, 
because we we talked a little bit you know, offline about the way this reflects itself in the creation story. Sure. Well, so here's what we hear in the creation story is that we are made in God's image and God is a entity. He's an entity in and of himself as described in the Bible, but he's also part of a Trinity. And you read this in the beginning of John where it talks about Jesus as being the word of God or the expression of God. And it says, it's amazing what it says in the beginning of John is that Jesus, the word, was with God in the beginning and was God. So it's kind of like my finger is, my pointer finger is a pointer finger. My pointer finger is also my hand. Um, It's not quite this exact same thing, but it's this idea of being Jesus was with God, so separate from God, but also was God. And then you could add the Holy Spirit into that. And so we as individuals are created in God's image, but I think that's a mistake in thinking about it just individually. It's really we as humanity were created in God's image. And we get more of the fullness of the expression of God not just as individuals, but when we are connected to each other, just like the digits of the hand are connected to the palm. Exactly. So if you go all the way back to to Genesis, I think one of the things that's interesting, the way that is laid out, is that when God created the world and he created man, that it's put forth as an incomplete creation until God created woman. So you have the Garden of Eden. You have perfection before sin ever entered the world. Man wasn't complaining. Man was just by himself as the only human being. And God says, it's not good. It's not good. Right after saying everything else is good, everything else is good, and then it's very good, he says, it's not good that man is alone. And then he creates woman. And it's like, we were never designed to operate as isolated entities. And that's that image of the hand. Yeah, that's so good. I, I mean, it's kind of the one not good in the Garden of Eden is the being alone. And I would press into that even more. You know, in the New Testament, we hear um, Paul talk about how it's great for him to be single. And the reason it's great for him to be single is because his identity as a part of the family of God is his highest identity. And it's not that it undermines marriage. He's not negating marriage, the importance of marriage. It's a wonderful thing because as humans, we are not meant to be alone. But I just think also I've got just so many dear friends who are single and their their connection, their sense of not being alone is really provided for us in the family of God. And... Um, I also think that's where we're moving towards in heaven, where we are distinct but united under Christ, the head. Well, absolutely. So it's you know interesting that that those verses that Paul talks about, you know, singleness in First Corinthians seven, is in the very book that just a few chapters later talks about the value and the benefit of the body and us needing each other. So you're totally right. 
uh, Paul was not advocating individualism and that, you know, we're going to be better off if we stay focused just by ourselves. But he was advocating always in First Corinthians about the power of the body, of about us working together uniquely as different parts of the body, but as one body headed by Christ. That's so true. And whether or not we're married or not and producing children or not, we are part of the body of Christ. And I want to push that even a little bit farther because I think one of the things that happens that when you get married, at least this is something that I've noticed, and I noticed especially when I was a newlywed, and we've been married 22 years now, but when, when I was a newlywed, I noticed that there was almost a culture war happening between the way I perceived I wanted our life to be and the way my husband perceived he wanted our, his life to our life to be. And part of that was informed by our own families growing up. And it, it would come down to like, at Christmas, how do we make the mashed potatoes? Or what are the items on the menu at Thanksgiving? And it became like a joke because when you're newly married, those things feel super important. And it even <laughs> comes out at, in, in planning the wedding, you know, it, which can be fun, but can also be the beginnings of the, of the culture wars between like what the two families want. And so I want to push this analogy of the hand or this picture of the hand a little farther and talk about the separate but apart, how we are tempted to not be made together collectively and individually into the image of God, but we tend to want to make other people into our own image, into our own image, where one person's way wins over the other. Um, we learned about this in government when you study the history of government. That's called a monarchy, and, and that didn't really go very well. Right. We've learned politically that there is a benefit from tension and opposing sides. And so I want to shift the conversation a little bit to differences when they're in tension with each other. Well, before you go there, that, that, that phrase of our tendency to make people into our own image— I think that is so powerful because it, it's like when you when you express that, I went. It was like a, a spotlight came out on me that I am so wired to think I am superior and my ways are superior, and the way I see things are the only way of seeing things, and that's the source of so many problems in our society, in our churches, in our families. Is that we're wired to make people into our image, not realizing that our image is so limited uh, in terms of what it does. I mean, it's like saying we need, you know, five pinkies, you know, because the pinky is the only way of being a finger, you know, it's horrible. It's true. And it kind of goes back to this um, reversal where we're acting as if we are God ourselves, or we want to be like God, um, when if we shift away from overemphasizing the individual and recognizing that God's image is expressed in, in his people, not in one person, then it might open our hearts and just our wills a little bit to recognize, you know, these people whom God has put in my life, whether it's my family, my friends, what, my church, are there, and I need them. In order to know God more fully, in order to live life more fully, in order to fulfill my purpose in life, 
I need what they have because I don't have it. Well, let me get, I'll get real practical on that because this is something that I've been living right now. I got to a certain point. I was right, you know, this book is still, you know, front and center in my mind that I've been working on. But I got to a certain point that I had to realize that if I wanted to write a book, that I couldn't do it alone. I could put words on a page, but I was going to get stuck if it was just me because I didn't have the breadth of skills that was necessary of gifts to put a book out. And so there was this aha moment where I said, I need other people or this book will never happen. So Joe, who's sitting right next to us uh, as we record this, became part of the Space to Breathe Again team. And he worked on website. He worked on audiobook. He brought all sorts of creativity that would have taken me years to accumulate and still wouldn't have been as good as what he could do right on the front end. Then I brought Sarah onto the team. And she's helped in this very awkward, uncomfortable place of social media. You know, unbelievable in terms of how that's helped me. And Amy, who's helped with PR and outreach, and you who helped me early on see things in the early drafts of the book. In the end, there's a book that has my name on it. But it never would it never would have happened if I'd said, this is me. Mm. And so that aha moment that says, I need other fingers was so powerful and so important in this process. You know, I really appreciate that about you. And I saw this early on that you... We're not trying to plow through all the whole process of writing a book and producing it on your own. You recognized early on that you needed to have a team of people. And there's a real lesson there. Whereas I sometimes try to take what I'm not good at and spend a lot of energy getting better at it. And I think this is a business concept. I think one of my good friends who is uh, in human resources for years said she learned that you build to your strengths and outsource your weaknesses. Uh, well, certainly I've done that, you know. But the interesting thing is it it's not just that it would have been a lesser book. It would have never been a book. Hmm. I would have never gotten over those humps had I not brought people in. And then when I think of how that could apply to families— that we tend to think of, okay, superior mom and dad and kids, and you're the different ages of the kids, but that the family is more powerful together with all these different strengths. Then we apply it to our companies. Then we apply it to our churches. It's a completely different mindset than it's about me and I'm strong and independent and capable in and of myself. It's so true. And, you know, your book is a really happy example because you hired these awesome people. I've met them. They're really fun to work with. And you all had this common purpose. But when we try to make people into our own image and don't recognize them as like distinct entities that bring something different to the table, I think you especially see this in families, that there's a tension that happens. 
And uh, one of the, to your point about how I see things visually and think about them, we have this piece of um, art, this painting in our house, and it's a picture of an arch. And, you know, I, I don't have it to show you, but you could picture in your mind the St. Louis arch. And I've, I've thought about that architecturally before, and I'm not sure when the arch was first created architecturally, but you could do like a history study of it. And whoever it was, the engineers who first figured it out, it's a curve. And there's nothing underneath the top of the curve that's holding it up. And the way it's built is you start building on top directly vertically, but then you start to curve inward toward each other. And eventually you connect, and it's the tension itself that holds it up. And there's so much to be said there about these two individual pillars that are growing vertically, and as they start to curve and connect to each other, inevitably there's tension. But if we start to reframe the way we think about tension and the way we think about differences, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's with our roommate, with our, in our companies, if we start to look at the ways that we rub against someone else, the Bible talks about it very clearly about iron sharpening ironing. Right. But there's this creative um, energy that comes from tension, conflict even, if we reframe the way we look at it and stop trying to just win. Well, that's, that's very uh, helpful to me. And like I said, it just shows how you see differently than I, I see because I would never think, you know, I'd look at an arch and go, well, I'm at McDonald's. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but it just shows how you think differently. But, um, you know, without getting into a whole lot of stuff about the Enneagram, I think I'm probably a nine. I'm a peacemaker. So tension, in my mind, is framed as nothing but a negative. Mm-hmm. It's something to be avoided. So that idea of reframing tension as something to embrace when entered into with the right perspective. That's so counter to the way I think. And then, you know, there are other Enneagram types that love tension, you know, but it's all about winning. And so this idea of seeing tension as creative and empowering and helping us be better, fuller people is, it's just a a great image because I certainly love to avoid tension. Well, I appreciate that you brought in the Enneagram. I actually had dinner with two eights. If you, I, I don't like to define people by their number, but let's just say both of these people enjoy conflict and they enjoy tension. And it was one of the most lively conversations because both people were coming to the table in strength. Yeah. And sometimes what I observe when I see someone who enjoys conflict in a conversation with someone who runs from conflict is nothing gets done. The, the one or, or, or nothing gets accomplished. There's no kind of energy there. And it would be like one side of the arch kind of going toward the center and there's nothing for it to press against. And so part of the creative power of tension and conflict is having strength on both sides, pushing in. Yeah. And it, it's a really great insight into relationships in general that if you tend to be one who comes in super strong 
you may not get anywhere unless you can hold back just a little and create space for the other person to bring their strength. You have to allow someone else to be strong. You do. You do. Or, you know, you may get what you want, which is you win. But is that really what you want? Is that the goal? Well, and as someone who likes to avoid conflict, I have to be willing to be strong when I'm with someone who is by nature very strong. Or you arrive at a lesser place. Sure. And um, I think about, I have a little bit of that in me who doesn't like to avoid or doesn't enjoy conflict. But there's an there's a aspect of that where you are avoiding showing up for your own life. Exactly, you know, yeah. it's like you are silencing the strength that God has given you, the perspective, your individual digit on the hand. I mean, it's like trying to function without a thumb or without a pinky, and it just doesn't work as well. And it's a challenge to those who are more prone to withdraw around people of strength to just sort of recognize you've got a role to play here and you've got to bring it. And for those who come in super strong to recognize that my strength may be counterproductive. Well, and that's what I think is uh, challenging about this topic is that it's very much about us being strong in who we are, but not stopping there. Mm. It's realizing that our strength will always be diminished if we don't bring that strength in tension and in cooperation with others. We'll always be less if we're by ourselves. Well, I, I appreciate that, and I, I, I think that that's a great point. I, I think it's hard to not look out for ourselves and to either bring too much strength to a situation, if that's our natural bent, or to withdraw. And that's where the scripture about um, the body of Christ, I think, is just such great teaching. It's so profound what it says about not only families, but individuals, but in churches, um, businesses, society. And that's the idea of each human, each individual is part of a greater body, and we all come under the headship of Christ. And the motivation for someone who comes in strong naturally to hold back a little or someone who withdraws normally to come in strong is that we come under the direction, the motivation of Christ, the purpose of Christ. And what is that? It's love. Right. And I think it's because of love sometimes that those who come in with strength hold back. And also it's because of love that someone who is prone to withdraw has to show up for life and bring their strength and bring their voice. And we're all kind of find our purpose and our fullness when we come under the headship, the teaching, the, um, the unifying force of Christ's love, which is sacrificial for others. Right. I love the image that I think it's in Galatians. It talks about that Christ knocks down the dividing wall, mm. you know, and uh, really the wrong things in life are when we create walls between each other. Mm. And we, we certainly see that in our culture mm-hmm. now uh, in, in massive ways. But it also exists in our families and exists in our companies. And, um, I, you know, I tend to think in concepts and in terms of myself. So what I love about today's podcast is that encouragement that 
the best of life is found in community and in engaging and embracing other people's strengths in willingness to lean into tensions and see that good things, wonderful creations can come as a result of it. Because I've kind of probably bought into a little bit of the individualism of our culture. And it's not where the best things are found. Well, it's been fun talking about this. And if you're listening and you live in Richmond, it would also be a really fun thing to do this fall to paint a rock and take it down and contribute it to the hand, the art um, installation on Browns Island. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'll just throw out a practical uh, you know, uh, idea for everybody related to this is just take this idea um, of the value of each other and apply it to your family. You know, whether, you know, you're, uh, you know, whether you have kids yourself or married or whether you're talking about your siblings and your parents or whatever, but take it and apply and go, how could we be better if we appreciated and leaned into one another rather than pushed out from one another? Yeah, that's great. That's, that's a great thing for me to think about. All right. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us. We'll have Patricia back bunches, you know, in the future. Always love kind of the engaging and the, the different eyes with which she sees. So thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you found it helpful and encouraging in your journey. Before you leave, I wanted to let you know of two things. First, if you are looking for more helpful content like this, visit TommyThompson.org. There you will find resources created to help you find space in your life. Second, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would take a minute to leave a review. This helps other people find the show as well.